Hey, good morning. Welcome to Cold Springs Church this morning. Thank you for braving the weather, whatever you had to do. Um, I didn't see a lot of snow on the car, so I think that all those people are still stuck up uh, the hill. So if you're joining us online uh, because you're in a snowdrift, we thank you for joining us online as well. So we're glad we're here today. Hey, um, let, let me pray for us as we prepare to open up God's Word um, this morning. Jesus, thank you for this morning, for the opportunity to come together to worship, to be reminded of some sort of key foundational truths that you are a good father and that your kingdom is coming, your will is being done right here, right now in our midst, and that we get to be a part of that. And Lord, as we come to your word today, Lord, I pray that you would give us um, ears to hear and eyes to see your truth, your hope, your life. And as we interact with that, Lord, that you would shape us a little bit more into the image of your son so that we can experience the fullness of life that you want to give us and that you offer us in following Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. This morning, we're uh, continuing a series that we began a number of weeks ago um, called uh, Beyond Survival, of sort of looking at and recognizing that life is a little bit challenging, life can be hard, but God wants something more than, than for us to just hang on by our fingernails, that there is a life that Jesus described that is a life that, that lives from the overflow. And so we've been looking at some various issues and challenges and, and, and topics about how do we do that. And uh, last week, we looked at faith in the storm, and that was a follow-up message to this message I did the week before of, of Beyond Survival moving from depression to thriving, where I shared a little bit of my story and my journey with mental and emotional health and um, then last week was, how do we live in the midst of, you know, the reality of the challenges that we face? And you can always find our messages if you go to our website, coldspringschurch.net, and uh, look, find them there. Or you can go to our YouTube channel, and you can watch them uh, later on. Again, we live stream every Sunday, uh, so you can uh, catch us there if you're not able to, to come here for whatever reason. Uh, this morning, uh, I'm going to be doing a message of, called uh, Trusting Marriage. And we'd asked, as we go into looking at beyond survival in parenting and in marriage, some of the feedback from you about what are some things that you would like to hear about within those areas. And a number of you gave us ideas and suggestions. And this is one of those that we got of, from somebody who's saying, hey, you know, can I trust marriage? Um, after coming out of a failed marriage, out of, out of um, the challenges that I've faced, can I trust marriage? And so I want to talk about that today. And, and as I approached this and I thought about it, I thought, you know what? Talking about marriage in the world today is a bit like talking about COVID because you're guaranteed to tick somebody off um, some way and that everybody has an opinion and usually they're pretty passionate about it. So if you get a little bit, you know, tweaked or upset or whatever, I guess maybe I'm doing my job. But that's where I prayed that we would hear from the Lord this morning, that we would be open to hear what God has to say about marriage so that we can live into the life of Jesus, that we can live out of the overflow of the life of Jesus. So the question then is, is it, it has to be, well, what is, what is marriage? And there's a book by Tim Keller, uh, Pastor Tim Keller, called The Meaning of Marriage, Facing the Complexities of Commitment, 
with the wisdom of God. Uh, Tim Keller is a pastor in New York. Um, he's a very uh, seasoned pastor, very astute theologian. He's one of my favorite authors, a uh, very um, uh, wonderful thinker. And, and it's, a, it's a, definitely a, a worthy book to be able to, to get and to look into. And at the beginning of his book, he defines marriage, and that's where we're going to begin um, because it's a definition that I think is um, a reflection of the biblical definition. And this is what he said. He said, we examine the Christian understanding of marriage in this book, and it's based, as we have said, on a straightforward reading of biblical texts. This means that we're defining marriage as a lifelong monogamous relationship between a man and a woman. According to the Bible, God devised marriage to reflect his saving love for us in Christ, to refine our character, to create stable human community for the birth and nurture of children, and to accomplish all this by bringing the complementary sexes into an enduring whole life union. So that's a lot of words. And so let me just unpack that a little bit. And, and then we're going to go deeper. We're going to look at some scripture and we're going to look at that more deeply. But one of the things when we look at what Tim Keller says, that the, the biblical definition of marriage, it begins with that it's a metaphor. That according to the Bible, it says God devised marriage to reflect his saving love for us in Christ. That marriage from a Christian perspective, marriage from a biblical perspective is much greater than any two people who are in a relationship. That it is a bigger story. It is a bigger picture. It's the metaphor that God has used to help us to understand the work of God through Jesus to reconcile his people to himself. That marriage is a reflection of the work and the love of God in the world. And so that's pretty heady. That, that's pretty amazing. We're going to unpack it a little bit. So um, the other thing that we see in there is, is that marriage is a journey. He says to refine our character. Now, if you go to James 1, and, and James 1 talks about this whole thing of persevering through you know, challenges and difficulties, counting it all joy, and sort of one of the things he says that when, it, when it's done its work, when the challenges have done its work, then there is a fruit from that, that marriage does its work on the people who are in that relationship. Now, anybody who has been in marriage, you know that there's, there's a challenge. There's, there's work that is done upon our character. And then the other thing is, is that it's a foundation, that marriage is a foundation that says to create stable human community for the birth and nurture of children, that the best environment to raise emotionally and spiritually healthy children is with a man and a woman together in a stable, God-honoring marriage. And we're going to unpack that. We're going to look at that a little bit more deeply because obviously we live in a, in a challenging world and we live in a broken world. And then it's a commitment. And to accomplish, Keller says, to accomplish all this by bringing the complementary sexes into an enduring whole life union. That marriage is not a contract. It's not just some legal contract where we sign on the dotted line, where we agree to certain terms and conditions. It is a covenantal relationship that reflects the covenantal relationship of God towards us. So it's more than just this legal arrangement that can get you tax deductions. It has much greater and deeper meaning. So 
Let's look at what marriage is from the Bible. Let's open up the scriptures. And if you have a Bible, I want you to open it up to the, the uh, book of Ephesians in chapter 5 in the New Testament. And this is one of Paul's letters where he's writing to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 5. And he is helping us, he's teaching us a biblical perspective of what marriage is and how that marriage works. Now, what I want us to do is I want us to understand that the Paul's teaching of marriage is written into a context of his larger words that he is writing there. And so we're going to start at verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 5. So if you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, that um, let me read starting there. And Paul writes this. He says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now, let's stop there for a second. You see, Paul is writing into a culture of his time where the prevailing thoughts and views of the day do not reflect a biblical worldview. They don't reflect the same ideas and philosophies that are found in Scripture. And so Paul recognizes that, and he's telling the people that he is writing to, hey, the world that you're living in has a different narrative than the narrative that God has. And so you need to be wise. You need to be aware of the messages that are out there and that you need to be paying attention to and submitting to the messages and the narrative of God. Verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So the context, again, Paul is writing here, is like, hey, you need to be wise. We need to be aware. We not Don't be foolish. Don't just take what the world has to say, hook, line, and sinker, but we need to look and to see what God's word is. And what Paul is setting up here is he's setting up an attitude and a heart for everybody that is listening to this of submission. That you and I, as we come to God, whether we're a man or a woman, that we live a life of submission. And so first off is that we live a life of submission to God's word, to God's truth. And we also live a life of submission to God's spirit working through that truth in our lives. And we live a life of submission to one another. Now, in these next verses in 18 through 21, he's basically unpacking this understanding and life of submission. So let's start at verse 18, and he continues. He says, so do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so there's different ways that we can live. He's contrasting. He's saying, don't submit to the world, don't be drunk with wine, but submit to the Spirit. Live according to the Spirit. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You and I, as we live this life, we are to have a heavenly view. We are to have a, a perspective that looks to God. We are submitting to God, submitting to God, submitting to God's Spirit. And submitting to one another. And then in verse 21, he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
So that's the context. It is a context of this mutual submission that is ultimately a submission in every one of our lives to follow and to honor God with our understanding, with our actions, so that we can be a blessed people and live out of the overflow of that blessing, that we can be the redeemed people of God. And then he goes into and he says, okay, here's an application of this life of submission of marriage. Okay, so if we come down to verse 22. And let me begin reading to you where he talks about marriage. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. Now, let's stop there for a second. So Paul is, is going to go into this back and forth where he's actually using sort of two metaphors side by side because what he's reminding us and he's teaching us and telling us is this human relationship of marriage, of a husband and a wife, is a reflection of a divine um, order that is going on between Jesus and his church and his bride. And so he goes back and forth between these two images. And so the first one, he starts with, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the, of the wife. That's the earthly relationship. And then he jumps to the heavenly. He says, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and as himself, its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ in heavenly, then he goes into the earthly. So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, one of the things that's really important here to understand, one of the things that Paul does not say here, he's using these metaphors, okay, wives and, and husbands, uh, Christ and, and, and his church, the bride, is that husband, you are not the savior of your wife. Like Jesus is the savior of the church. Now, you may think really highly of yourself, but get this, know this, there is only one Savior, and it is Jesus Christ. Husbands, you are not the Savior of your wife. That is not what he's saying. He's, again, using this heavenly metaphor, this earthly metaphor, to help us understand both realms. And then verse 25, husbands, love your wives. So, the earthly. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, the heavenly, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way. All of that is the heavenly metaphor of looking and helping us to understand what love is by looking at Jesus. And then in verse 28, in the same way, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. And then he goes to the heavenly metaphor, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. In verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, what Paul does is that he anchors modern marriage in his time, in our time, back to ancient truth in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, 24, this is before the fall. This is before sin enters into the world that he defines this relationship of marriage, of this reflection of God's work in the world. 
Verse 32, this mystery is profound. Now that is like the understatement of the world, right? That is the understatement of the world. Paul, yeah, this is like, this is, this is a little bit confusing. Is, is it, Paul, are you talking about, you know, a husband and a wife? Or are you talking about Jesus in the church? And he's like, yes, yes, I'm talking about both. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Verse 33, then Paul summarizes and he says this. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, the next line I have here is the problem with marriage. You see, we live in a culture that is increasingly at odds with a biblical understanding or biblical view of marriage. Uh, Timothy Keller, he quotes um, Chris Rock in his book, he says, where Chris Rock says this, do you, the comedian Chris Rock, he says, do you want to be single and lonely or married and bored? Right? So those are the two options that Chris Rock you know, points out to us and looks at us. And the thing is, is that a lot of young adults, um, Timothy Keller continues, believe that these are indeed the two main options. That is why many aim for something in the middle between marriage and mere sexual encounters, which is cohabitation with a sexual partner. So here's some of the, the current data um, about marriage in the world that we live in. So half of American, it's ages 18 and older, were married in 2017. So and that, that stayed pretty, pretty steady. But it is down um, eight percentage points since 1990. So there are less people that are married today than there were in 1990. And the reason that people get married, love is still the number one reason. 88% say, you know what, I'm married in so many because of love. And the number of U.S. adults who are living together with a partner on top of the marriage, so 50% you know, are in a marriage relationship of some sort. And then those who are not in a marriage relationship but are living together, cohabiting, is, that, is another 7%. Now, I think that that's an important thing for us to just sort of pay attention to, particularly if you're a younger person here this morning, is because the perception is, is that everybody's doing it. Everybody's living together. But the reality is, is that only 7% of non-married people are living together. And so it might be a number of your friends, but, and, and the other thing is just because everybody's doing something, does that make it what is the best pathway and the best route? Another uh, part of the statistics is that over the last 40 years, the leading marriage indicators have been in steady decline. So the divorce rate is nearly twice the rate it was in 1960. In 1970, 89% of all children, all births, were to married parents. And today, that's only 60%. That's, a, that's an astonishing statistic right there. And most telling, over 72% of American adults were married in 1960, but only 50% were in 2008. And so marriage is becoming less within our culture. Now, another thing that um, is very much the narrative and the story out there is, is that those who are married are miserable. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, that, um, that sort of that Chris Rock thing. is like, you want to be married and, and, and bored and, and miserable, essentially. But as, as um, 
researchers have looked at this, is that consistently those who are married, um, 61, 62% of those who are married are happily, very happily married. And here's another really sort of interesting thing about this, is, is that they've done studies, longitudinal studies, over time of those who are married, and that two-thirds of those unhappy marriages of um, turned into happy marriages within five years. So what they're saying is, is that being unhappy in the marriage is not a terminal illness. It doesn't mean the end of the marriage. It's that life changes, that things change. But part of that is the perseverance within the relationship. And then um, also it's true that 45% of marriages end in divorce but when you sort of look at the statistics, one of the things that they, when you, when you look at the people who do get divorced is that there are some very telling things that can lead to that. Of the greatest percentage of divorces happened to those who are married before the age of 18, who dropped out of high school, and who've had a baby together before marrying. That that tr contributes greatly. So, so let's go to this. So we see that there's challenges and difficulties in the world around marriage. So we go back to this question, why should we trust marriage? And we go back, let me go back to what Timothy Keller said about what marriage is. According to the Bible, God devised marriage to reflect his saving love for us in Christ, to refine our character, to create stable human community for the birth and nurture of children, and to accomplish all of this by bringing the complementary sexes into an enduring whole life union. Now, before we unpack this a little bit more, I want us to remember the questions that I asked when I first started this series. I asked some really important questions, and the very first question was this. Can you trust God? Can you trust God? And in... Does, does God have the character that is trustworthy? Because if we say, no, I cannot trust God, then the result of that is this, is it's all up to you. It's all up to what you can figure out. It's all up to your wisdom. It's all up to your strength. It's all up to your power. You are on your own, essentially. You have to figure it all out because God does not play into the equation. If the answer is yes, I can trust God, then the second question is this. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? And, and one of the things we talked about is trust is shown when there's resilience under stress. And I had this climbing rope here for a number of weeks, and I used that as an illustration of can you trust that rope? You know, Because when, when that rope is under stress, is it going to hold you? When your faith in God is under stress, your relationship with God is under stress, can he hold you? When your life is under stress, can he hold you? So do you trust God? Then the third question is this, will you trust God? When we can say, yeah, I, you know, I can trust God. God is trustworthy. I can trust God. But, but will you? And when we come to marriage, it's, it's, a, it's a question. Will you trust God? And so let's look at this um, from that biblical passage of Ephesians 5 of will we trust God? And, and looking at what marriage is. So marriage is this. Marriage is a metaphor. God devised marriage to reflect his saving love for us in Christ. 
Marriage is bigger than any couple. Marriage is any, bigger than any family that is sitting here. It is something that God has designed and created to bear witness to the world of who he is and his grace and mercy in the world. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Genesis 2.24. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So if you're in a marriage relationship, part of what God is doing in that as a follower of Jesus is that he is using your marriage as a witness to the world around you. That's pretty scary, isn't it? It's like, really, mine? Yeah, you should probably choose somebody else, God. I don't don't know. I don't think so. But that's a part of God's intent and design. So marriage is a journey to refine our character. Let me read to you James 1, 2 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. That marriage does its, its work. Is anybody, anybody here married? Is anybody here married and had challenges in your marriage? <laughs> Yeah, so uh, March 7th, coming up here a few days, uh, Pam and I will have been married 36 years. So March 7th, 1987, yeah, um, which shows a very, I married a marathon runner, literally and figuratively, that's why. She puts up with me, she just keeps going, you know, it's, it's awesome. And, and, but here's the thing, is, is that over those years, there have been challenges, there's been difficulties, because there's these two, you know, imperfect, sinful people come together in a relationship and says, okay, love each other, figure it out. That's a challenge. And then God, you know, adds notorious sinners called children into the mix, right? You know, it's like, okay, now you have a, a bunch of really notorious sinners, and you're trying to figure it out. And it's a journey. And, and James tells it, consider it all joy when you face various trials because it's doing a work. It's doing a work. And marriage is a part of that work. Ephesians 5, 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The whole marriage relationship is, is put into that context of mutual submission. And here's what I found, is, is that nobody really likes submission. Nobody really does. And here's the other thing is, is that have you ever, have you figured out that you can't make another person submit? You can tell them to submit. You can tell them to submit until they're blue in their face, right? And, and you know, whether you're a parent and you're telling, telling your kid submit, whether you're in a marriage, you're, you're a wife telling your husband, or your husband telling your wife to submit, and somebody might be sitting down on the, in, on, on the outside, but they are standing up on the inside, right? Because submission is not something that we do to another. It is a choice that we make within ourselves. And the only way that we are able to do that with one another is, is that we have first submitted to God. 
so that his grace, his mercy works in us, empowering us to be the person that God wants us to be. Marriage is a journey, and it's a foundation. If you continue right after this, in, in uh, this section in Ephesians 5, when you come to Ephesians 6, 1, it starts to address the family. And this is what it says. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And what marriage is, as God has designed it and created it within his design, biblical design, is that stable human community for the birth and the nurture of children. The best environment to raise emotionally and spiritually healthy children is in a God-honoring marriage between a man and a woman. And, and even, even there, what Paul, as he continues and he, and he tells children, he says, hey, children, what you need to do is obey your parents. And by the way, that... that comes from a commandment with a promise, with a blessing that is rooted in ancient wisdom. That these relationships, as they begin to work in positive ways, they bring blessing. Now, here's something really important I want to say. You know, we're in a society, in a world where 50% a divorce, of marriages end in divorce, which means that there are a lot of children that are um, in divorce or they, they've um, from single homes. And, and here's the thing. It's important to acknowledge that, that marriage in itself of two people living in the same place is, is, is not the minimum required what God calls us to. It's that God honoring. It's that honoring of one another. And when there is emotional and physical and sexual abuse that is taking place within that family system, whether it's husband and wife or children, then that is destructive. And that is not God-honoring, just because a couple is married. If there is brokenness, if there's evil that's going on. Marriage is a commitment. Ephesians 5.33, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Keller says, To accomplish all of this by bringing the complementary sexes into an enduring whole life, union. You know, that marriage is not a contract. It is not this, you know, agreement between two parties where they're going to fulfill the obligations. And if you don't fulfill the obligations, then you're out of there, which is an, an attitude within the world that we live in today. And it, it's very interesting to me that when Paul gives his summary of, of the end of this, you know, the marriage, it says the husband's going to um, love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband, that, the, that he doesn't say that the wife submits. You would think, well, that's what you said above. What's going on? Because submission is a part of respect. That the, the greater underlying truth here is this relationship of sacrificial love and sacrificial respect between a husband and a wife that bears its fruits. And that that's not a contract, it's a covenantal commitment, it's a reflection of God's covenant love towards us. 
For Paul in Romans, he says, you know, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Because that's, it's God's, it's God's job. He's the one who's holding that love, and, and he doesn't let go. We can trust him. So the, the challenge that we face in this is, is, is that of, of pulling together in a marriage. It, it, because that's what God wants us to do. Is he wants us to be together, that a marriage to be together. And, and he, let me read to you a passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And, and Paul is talking about us living in the world and how we're engaging in our relationships with the world. So he's speaking from a different, you know, larger perspective, but it does re relate to our relationships. And he says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership is righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship is light with darkness. And so if we follow the metaphor here in the truth that's there, one of the things that Paul is telling us is that who we're yoked with, who we're in relationship with is really important. And then when we have the power to choose that, that we need to choose wisely. We need to choose carefully within that. See, because there's sort of four options on the yoking, and it's using this agricultural picture, right? Uh, it's using the picture of two oxen being yoked together side by side that are pulling a plow that is accomplishing a work. And so there's sort of four options. One is, is that there's nobody next to you that there's, you're, you're single pulling, right? You're the only one that's in the yoke in this pulling. And so maybe you are single for, for whatever reason. And, and I believe that the church, the community of God is called to come alongside all of us in order to help us to do the work, to pull. But if we're in a relationship, then there's three other options that happens. One is, is that we're yoked to somebody who is passive. And so you're pulling, but anytime that yoke starts to pull on their shoulders, they just sort of back off, right? They're walking beside you, but they are not contributing towards moving forward. And so it's sort of a single pull still. The other option is, is that you have somebody who is yoked beside you, and they're not pulling forward. They're pulling sideways, or they're moving backwards. And so it's constantly a battle to move forward because they're going a different direction. Or the last option is, is that you have somebody yoked beside you and you are walking together, that you are seeking to pull together. And when you feel weak, then they are strong. When you, they are weak, then you are strong. And that together you do the work. And what Paul is wanting us, what the Bible is telling us, is inviting us into, is, is that that's that we would aspire to. So this really important question when we come to and look at marriage, no matter where you are, whether you're in a marriage or, or not, is, is that will you trust God? Will you trust God? Marriage is bigger than you. And so I want to address some particular audiences right now. So one, if you're, if you're a young adult, young, young person, teen, and here's the challenge for you is to see marriage as God sees it and to see yourself as God sees you. That God wants you to grow into being a woman or a man of, of godly character. And what God is wanting you to do also is to play by his rules. 
And here's one of the stories that the world around us tells us, is that we are in this search as a young person or as a single person for another person that's going to complete us. And that is a lie. You will never find somebody to complete you because there is only one who can complete you, and that is Jesus Christ. There's only one. So if you're going in, it's like, oh, you complete me. Wait two months, right? And you're going to find. If you're lucky, two months. You're going to find, oh, you got a few gaps. What God can provide for you is somebody who will compliment you. And that is something important to look for, is somebody who will compliment you, but nobody will complete you, only Jesus. And, and the challenge for you is this, is to trust God in your journey as a, young, as, as a single person, as a young person. The Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 7, it's actually three times, it's repeated three times, different times in the Song of Solomon, this same verse. Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. The Song of Solomon is a, 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 is a book of um, sexual intimacy, a picture of sexual intimacy looking towards um, spiritual things. And when it talks about not awakening love until the time is right, it's, not, it's talking about being guarding your sexual purity, guarding your heart, your connection, until the time is right. That's a challenge in our world today. Now, if you're married, the, the, the thing I would say to you in this is that will you trust God is this, is that your marriage is not just about you. It's not just about you, that God is using that as a witness in, the, in, your, in your family, in the world around you. And so, again, 36 years, coming up on March 7th of being married, and every day... I am aware of how much more Jesus I need in my life to love my wife in the way that she deserves and the way that she should be loved. Because I am desperate for grace because I lack so much. And this relationship has been a constant invitation to, to, to draw closer to Jesus so that his overflow can go into my If you're here this morning and you're conflicted and you're in this a conflicted marriage, maybe that there's been some challenges or maybe there's been some really hard or bad things that have happened, one of the things I would say to you, just because you have the biblical cause for divorce, is that doesn't mean that you should get divorced. And to remember that statistic that has been researched out is that if you are able to persevere, if you're able to hang on in, in five years, the likelihood statistically is, is that your marriage is going to change because life changes. That an unhappy marriage can be grow into a happy marriage if the two people are willing to battle it out and hold on. And, and the thing I would also tell you is to be connected to community, to not do it by yourself, that you need people around you to love you. If you find yourself in the place of being divorced or, or, or wid widowed, um, one of the things that I would really remind you is, is that you're carrying a wound by going through that. 
And that's not anything new. I mean, to, to go through, and this is why marriage is much more than a contract, right? It's not just like, okay, you know, well, the, the, the rental of the car didn't work. I'm just walking away, and the car's going to stay there, and I'm going to go on. And, and yeah, I sort of wish I had that car again, but, but it makes no emotional difference. No, marriage, God tells us that when a man and a woman come together and they become one flesh, there is a spiritual joining of their souls that happens. And when that's pulled apart, there is a wound. And pursue healing. Choose carefully and wisely so that you don't make the same mistakes over and over. Because we're all broken and we all need healing. And to trust God. Trust God in that journey of what God has next for you. But part of trusting God is to play by his rules. And to remember it's God who completes you. It's not another person. As we have ended all of our messages, I'm going to end in the same place. That if we don't have God in our life, if there's no God, then our life is devoid of peace. And the only peace that we can find is, that, is if we can get rid of enough conflict or if we can reframe things and ignore the pain. But if we know God, then we can know peace. Because Jesus said, peace I leave to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. But peace is not the absence of conflict, it's the presence of Jesus. And Jesus said, I will never, ever leave you or forsake you. And that brings peace. Even in the midst of the challenge, even in the midst of the conflict, even in the midst of the battle. And we can trust God. You can trust God. He is trustworthy. And that's a decision that we each have to make each and every day as we lean into him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. We are hugely imperfect people, notorious sinners that you bring together to bring glory to you and to bring your message of hope into the world. Lord, I pray that, I pray for the married people here, that, Lord, that you would work in them to give them hope and to give them your power and your strength. For those who are single, Lord, I pray that your peace and presence would be over them as well, to know that that is not a scarlet letter, it's not a brokenness, that you meet them and you love them right where they are. For us as a church that we would be a place of people of safety of people who would embrace each other to walk with each other so that we could experience the fullness of your peace and your love in the name of jesus we pray these things amen